Welcome to the Primal Endurance Podcast. Slow down and enjoy the show, where we rap, literally, about everything you need to know. I'm your host, Brad Kearns. Are you ready? Let's go. Hey, Brad Kearns here, host of the Primal Endurance Online Mastery Course. It's finally launched. We're so excited to share it with you. Let's hear what Lindsay Taylor has to say about it. Be on the lookout for upcoming announcements about the Primal Endurance Mastery Course that we will be releasing very soon. I just had a chance to preview it, and it is going to be so rad, you guys. And I'm not just saying that because I am one of the featured experts. I am really excited about it. Brad did an amazing job with this. It's going to be such a great resource for people who want to dive really deep into the concepts covered in the Primal Endurance book and in the podcast. It's really amazing, you guys. I'm super stoked about it. Hi, Primal Endurance readers, listeners, athletes, aficionados. It's me, Lindsay, again, back with you for another Q&A episode of the Primal Endurance podcast. Yay! I'm excited. I hope you guys are. I don't know what order these are going to be coming out in, so you may have already heard one or two of me recently. If Brad has not been on, do not fear. Brad will still be taping plenty of Q&A episodes. He will be rapping just as much as normal. Um, but he's super busy right now working on all sorts of projects we have coming down the pipeline. In fact, Brad was in my very own house last week for six hours. We were doing a bunch of videotaping for a project that may or may not be a secret still. So I won't tell you because I don't want to get in trouble. But let me just say that we have all sorts of exciting stuff happening right now, including if you haven't checked it out, head over to primalendurance.fit. You can get all the information about the Primal Endurance Mastery course that is now available. And it's super awesome. And I really hope that if you haven't checked it out yet, you'll at least go look at it. Um, You cannot believe the amount of information that is Available if you are serious about pursuing your endurance endeavors in primal aligned ways and being as healthy as possible and being able to participate in your sport for as long as possible without injury and illness and burnout. This is something that you guys should definitely be checking out. So now that we've taken care of a little bit of business, what do you guys say we just jump right into some questions? We're going to try to be Bing, bang, boom, rapid fire. I know we always say that. And then Brad and I just, yep, 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 yep. But I'm really going to try today. So let's go. Let's start with Kevin, age 43, who has two questions for us that don't really have answers. But hey, I like a challenge. So let's see what my opinions are here. Okay, Kevin asks, I have two questions. First, I have raised a fifth. No, I have a 50K race scheduled in exactly 60 days from whenever he sent this, probably more than 60 days ago. Okay. Do I begin math training now and just run the race with whatever gains I've made? Or do I continue training as I have been and begin math following the race? So let me just stop there and answer Kevin's first question before we move on to the second one. So, If you have a race coming up, so in this case, Kevin has a race coming up in two months or so, should he begin math training now and just, you know, ride the aerobic training component right into race day and see what happens? Or does he continue with whatever he's been doing, which I'm going to assume is just a more traditional training program, you know, high volume, fairly regular speed work, whatever, and um, wait until after the race to 
begin math. And like I said at the beginning, there is not an answer to this question. This is kind of a philosophical question. So I would say that for most people, if they ask me this, I would say, what are your goals? I mean, if you're trying to win the 50K race and you're doing well with your current training and mentally it's making you feel confident, uh, you know, maybe stick with your current training program until after the race. Um, But I would say if you have 60 days, which is a fair amount of time, at the very least, I would, if you're doing a lot of speed work now, dial back the speed work. Um, But for most people, I think it's actually fine to just go ahead and do math, you know, especially for something as long as a 50K, if we're talking kind of an ROI, bang for your buck situation, you're doing a 50K, it's a long day, you know, the longer you go, the more aerobic endurance matters and the less speed matters um, on kind of like a relative proportion basis. So like a 50K compared to a 5K. Um, I would say, you know, go ahead and begin math. The only caveat to that, I would say, is that, you know, if you're doing a complete dietary training metabolic overhaul, so you're talking about going from you're eating a super high carb, very traditional standard American diet. You're only fueling with gels right now. And you're talking about completely switching up your diet and your training pattern, you know, two months before a race. I still think it can be done. There's enough time to adapt. Um, but I can't guarantee two things. One, I would say that you need to be prepared that there very well may be a transition period when you first change your diet and your exercise where you don't feel great, you don't have a lot of energy, um, you know, you're asking your body to basically relearn how to fuel itself. And a lot of people report when they do like a very dramatic overhaul like that, that there is a downtime where, you know, they experience something akin to carb flu, you know, they don't feel good, they're sleepy, they feel like they're dragging during all their workouts. And if that's really going to freak you out leading up to a race, then, you know, maybe don't, maybe wait till after your race to switch. But if you can be mentally prepared for that and kind of see the bigger picture and realize that, you know, switching to working on your aerobic base, as long as you can get through this, you know, rough transition period should have a good return for you, then go ahead and do it. But if you know that you're going to be like really mentally derailed by that, then maybe you need to take that into consideration. Um, And the other thing I would say is that I can't, you know, guarantee you that if you only have 60 days between now and your race, that you would absolutely race the same speed that you would if you just stuck with your current training schedule. I mean, the other trade-off, though, is if you're doing something with a lot of volume and a lot of speed and you're fueling with carbs and blah, blah, blah. I mean, as you well know, a lot of people get injured in the last, you know, two months leading up to a race because they're pushing it really hard. They're doing more speed work than is necessary. And then they tear something or strain something or get sick. So how many people do you know that have gotten sick, you know, three weeks before their race? So, you know, again, you kind of have to do your own personal cost benefit analysis here and decide like, you know, even if you maybe go a little bit slower on race day, if you're not trying to win anyway, and you can 
potentially ward off those leading into race weeks, injuries, and illness. And you can have some time to build some aerobic base. You know, is that a good option for you? For most people, I would probably advise to just go ahead with two, you know, with 60 days, go ahead and do it. If you told me your race is in three weeks, um, I would say mm, just go ahead and wait till after the race because that doesn't really give you enough time to kind of get over the hump that some people experience at the beginning. But 60 days is kind of borderline. I would say yes, but this is really something where you have to look at the big picture of your own situation, kind of decide what you're willing to, how you're willing to perform on race day and decide if you're willing to possibly take a small hit possibly. And again, like no one can predict the future here, but I'm going to say you can do it. Um, and I would actually be interested to know, Kevin, since this race has probably already happened, what you did do and how it went. So if you, I know that we corresponded by email, so let me know what happened. Email me back at info at primalendurance.fit and let me know what you decided if you hear this and how it went. Okay. Kevin's second question. Secondly, what are the consequences if I went over math for one run? Oh, man, you're so lucky that I got this question, not Brad. Okay, sorry. Say I'm three to four weeks into base building and decide to run a few miles with friends and greatly exceed my math pace and heart rate. Do I renege all my gains or is it more of a small bump in the road and I would recover from that in a couple of days? I honestly don't know, Kevin. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, so many people ask us this, um, you know, what if I just go over by one run for one run? What if I go over by 20 beats? What if I like go over by five beats, but for five minutes? But what if I go over for 20 beats, but it's just for 15 seconds while I run up this hill, but then I run over the top of the hill and I come down and then my heart rate goes down within 30 seconds and blah and on and on. And the answer is, I don't know. You know, there's no equation where you can just plug in you know, how fat adapted you are now, what your current aerobic fitness is now, and um, how high above your math heart rate you went, and for how long, and how long it took to recover, and then, you know, plug it all into this algorithm and have it spit out a number that says, you know, we'll set you back X amount. I wish there was, because that would be so helpful for people. Um, but I don't know. The answer is not zero, probably. If you are three to four weeks into base building, and run a few miles with your friends and greatly exceed your math pace and heart rate, that will have a non-zero effect on your base building. Um, will it completely dis derail your base building? Will it set you back to zero? I mean, probably not. Can I guarantee it? No, but I would be surprised if it set you back all the way. Um, so again, this is another personal cost-benefit analysis situation. Are these friends you haven't seen in a long time and they're in town for the weekend and these were your old running buddies from college and you'll be super bummed if you miss out on running with them? Then whatever, go running with them and, you know, ask them to slow down for you. You know, can they just slow down for you since you're doing something and explain to them that you're only three weeks in and you don't want to completely undo it? These are your friends. Tell them to be cool. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I can't give people permission. I feel like people want me to give them permission to not do the system. And I'm not going to do that. And Brad is definitely, definitely not going to do that. Um, so decide, just decide, you know, is how important it is to me to be super strict. You know, how 
do I have a race coming up really soon and I really, really need to maximize this? Then don't cheat. Don't cheat at all. Never, you know, be super strict. That's your best course of action. But if you're like um, your caller or the questioner from the last Q&A episode I was recording where they said they're just doing primal endurance for general fitness, but they don't have a specific race they're training for, you know, maybe you ease up the reins a little bit, but with full acceptance of the fact that every time you deviate from the system and go over your math heart rate, you're setting yourself back some amount, some undetermined amount that nobody, not even Dr. Maffetone could exactly quantify for you. So sorry, Kevin, I have two nebulous answers for your two questions, but they both come down to kind of what risk and what benefits are you looking for and willing to accept? So there you go. Okay, next question from Matthew, age 28. Matthew says, I've been running for about 17 years, which is a long time for someone who's only 28, but okay. I've been running for about 17 years, but only started training by Dr. Phil when I had my ACL reconstructed about five months ago. When that happened five months ago, he dropped his maximum aerobic heart rate down to 140. I can feel that it was necessary. I actually feel my breathing change when I get between 138 and 140. I feel like as I get farther along in my recovery that I'll eventually be able to push my maximum aerobic heart rate back up to 150. How will I know that it is an appropriate time to do so? Do I keep paying attention to where my breathing changes and notice as it may creep higher or... Do I wait until I've been running consistently for a certain time period and push it all up in one go? Awesome, Matthew. I actually love this question because you're doing the opposite of what most people do, which is saying, I'm willing to be conservative for as long as it takes, and I want to be as safe as possible when I push my heart rate back up. So let's unpack this a little bit. So Matthew's 28, so if he just went by 180 minus age, his uh, maximum aerobic heart rate would be 152. Right now, because he's recovering from an ACL surgery, he's dropped it down about 10 beats to 140, which is nice and conservative and absolutely the right thing to do. And he's saying right now he's feeling his breathing change when he hits that. So he's feeling like that's kind of another subjective marker that that's a good place for him to be. So how does he know when it's the appropriate time to do so? Well, a couple things to consider. One is that, you know, if you look at Dr. Maffetone's original formulations for the 180 minus age formula, he would argue that you might take like a whole season or two to get back up to your 180 minus age since you're recovering from an illness or injury in this case. Um, I don't know that you need to take that long, but I do say I would wait until, first of all, I was completely recovered from my knee surgery, having nothing to do with your aerobic fitness, but that your knee was complete, your ACL was completely recovered. Um, And then what I would do is if I was feeling otherwise good and you hadn't had any other injuries or illnesses in the meantime, I would then bump it up to 145. So I wouldn't bump it all the way to 150 in one step. Um, just because I'd be worried that that would be a little bit stressful. Um, you could try if you were, if you wanted to, again, if maybe you had like a race coming up or something like that and you wanted to kind of do a little bit faster, you could try going straight from 140 to 150. Um, and your body will tell you if that's too much, you know, you'll, you'll have a hard time maintaining it. Your 
strength may not be up to par so that running at 150 may actually have like a an RPE that's much higher than you'd want. So 150 feels a lot harder than it feels like it should. Um, I would do it stepwise. I would do first 145, keep it there for, you know, maybe a couple months, see how it's feeling. Um, and then I would, if everything's going well, again, my knee's holding up, I'm not injured, I'm not ill, then I would go back up to 150. So I would be a little bit intuitive about it, but my personal preference would be to do it in two steps. That's my two cents. Okay. Next question from someone whose name I don't know, and I'm sorry, I don't know if this was us who didn't write it down or you who didn't give it, but unnamed person. I have two questions. I've been eating primarily for four months now, and I'm very close to my ideal body fat. I like the idea of an intermittent fast and have done it several times. Does it matter if the fast is in the morning or the evening? I find that I like to eat in the morning and lunch, but most evenings I am not hungry for dinner. All right, so let's do that, tackle this question first. Yeah, totally. I, I don't think it matters. I mean, you'll find people in the fasting space who argue for one side or the other, um, but I don't think that based on what I've read up till now, I don't think that there's a consensus that one is clearly better than the other from a physiological perspective. So most people who fast do skip breakfast. And part of the reason that that um, works for a lot of people is because when you wake up, you're already leaning into your fast by having slept for ideally eight or nine hours, right? So if you have dinner at say six and maybe, you know, a little bit to eat at like seven, you know, maybe you eat from six to seven and then have a little dark chocolate at seven or seven thirty or whatever. And then you go to sleep at 10 and wake up at six thirty. If you've gone from 7.30 p.m. till 6.30 a.m. the next day, you're already 11 hours into your fast. Um, so a lot of people just choose to just keep going with their morning fast and wait until they're really hungry to actually eat lunch. So that might be, you know, let's say 11 a.m., you start to get hungry for lunch and then you eat. Now you've gone 7.30 to, say, 11.30, you've gone 16 hours, and now you're on a 16-8 eating schedule if you do that most days. And so... um that counts as intermittent fasting, you know, eating in this kind of time-restricted eating window. Um, so that's one common way to do it, but it's not the only way to do it. There are other people who argue that they like to eat first thing in the morning. When they wake up, they believe that eating early in the morning kind of entrains their circadian rhythm. So they believe that eating in the morning kind of gets their body going, signals that they're up and awake. And they prefer to eat, like you're saying, breakfast and lunch and maybe like a er very early afternoon meal and then fast into bedtime and then finish their fast overnight. You know, so whatever works for you is totally fine. There's not like one way that's more or less primal. The only concern that I personally have with eating breakfast and lunch and not dinner is that the couple when I've done that, I've woken up hungry in the middle of the night which is not what you want. So as, if that's going to be disruptive to your nighttime sleep, I would advise against it. But other than that, if it's working for you, then I say there's no reason that that is a bad idea. Okay, question two. After my first math test, I was ungodly slow, 12-minute mile pace running, which timeout is not, trust me, all the mathatone people are laughing right now because there are so many people who are doing this right now who would are aiming still to get down to a 12-minute running pace. So remember, everybody, what does and does not constitute a fast pace is subjective. But okay, so this person 
felt like they were subjectively running very slowly. Is it okay if I do four to six months or longer of zone two training to really build my base? I'm planning on doing three Olympic length triathlons next year. Um, Yeah, totally. Do your uh, aerobic training for as long as you want. I mean, remember that from um, our perspective, we don't really call it zone two. We don't really do zone-based training, but yeah, insofar as zone two, usually for most people uh, is a heart rate of 180 minus age or below, more or less. Um, Yeah, keep it aerobic for as long as you feel like is helpful to you. There's no requirement to do high-intensity periods after eight weeks or after 12 weeks or after 52 weeks if you don't want to. I mean, there's no requirement whatsoever to ever go out of aerobic training if that's what is working for you. Yeah, do it. Whatever you want. Okay, last question, and I'm ending with this one because I love it because it's so easy for me. Last question. How high should my heart rate be if I'm beginning a primal endurance plan after about one something off from training? There's a word missing from this question. One week off, one month off, one year off, one decade off. Uh, It doesn't matter. No matter how long you've been off of training, if your max heart rate, if you're a primal endurance uh, adherent, then your max heart rate during exercise will be 180 minus age. Now, to be conservative, if you've been off of training for a long time, you can subtract five from your age and um, start a little bit lower. That's, you know, it's always better to be a little bit more conservative. Um, So 180 minus age minus five. Or if you haven't been off training for that long, 180 minus age. But really in terms of uh, heart rate, being a more novice versus more experienced athlete from a math tone perspective really doesn't matter. It only matters a little bit insofar as you may apply one of those adjustment factors. And on the flip side, right, if you're a really experienced athlete, you've been training for more than two years with no injury or illness, and your training is progressing really well, you can add five. So 180 minus age plus five to your aerobic heart rate, but that's not required. 180 minus age is going to be safe for almost all people. If you're really new to this, subtract five to be conservative. But remember, it beyond that, your maximum aerobic heart rate never changes. It doesn't change with increasing fitness. It doesn't change with changing your sport. 180 minus age is where you're going to begin and end maybe with plus or minus minus plus or minus five. All right. That is going to do it for today, you guys. Thank you so much for listening to another Primal Endurance podcast Q&A show. Remember to go over to primalendurance.fit, check out our blog, our podcast archive, our athlete success stories, and then get all the information about the new Primal Endurance Mastery course You can, if you haven't done it already, sign up to get the free preview videos and check out the uh, free ebook and the course outline. Come find us over at Facebook on our Facebook group. Just search the groups for Primal Endurance and then ask to join. You can ask me questions over there and interact with other Primal Endurance athletes. And as always, if you have questions for us, you can email and I will answer you at info at primalendurance.fit. That is info at primalendurance.fit. And until next time, this is Lindsay wishing you all health and happy training. Hi, folks. Mark Sisson here. And I'd like to tell you about my biggest undertaking yet. 
the Primal Health Coach Program. My mission is to create a global network of primal health coaches to help transform the health and consciousness of our communities into ones of optimal wellness and happiness. Becoming a primal health coach empowers you to take your primal passions to the next level and embark on a career you love, inspiring others to live lives of vitality and lasting wellness. If you dream of a career in health coaching but have been held back by worries, such as the investment of time and money, then I encourage you to hesitate no longer. Health coaching is the fastest-growing specialty in all of coaching, and we've created an online education program that allows you to learn from the comfort of your own home and at your own pace. The world needs primal health coaches to provide a blend of ancestral wellness solutions to the modern health crisis. The world needs you. Are you ready to become one of the world's most trusted, experienced, and knowledgeable health coaches? To learn more about this online certification program and to take the first step toward a career you love, visit PrimalHealthCoach.com and subscribe.